That's the look you gave me. What was up with that? That was really... Howdy, everybody. Wait, I'm Robert. <laughs> and I'm Ira. Yeah. yeah you, you, and this is Money yeah. Shot. Yeah, yes, it is. Wow. We're already coming up with a lot of energy right yeah, from the yeah, start, huh? Yeah, yeah. Good times. <sighs> How are what? you? How are I'm, you? I'm good. How yeah, are you? Yeah, we're both on antibiotics. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right, yeah. But, but I was legitimately sick. I didn't like get the uh, you know venereal disease or anything. Shh, 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 oh, shh, my bad. We'll edit that in post. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you won't. How you been? Good. It's good to see you. I say that like yeah, we what? weren't. We didn't just say how you been ten minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. We say it a third time. Okay. How you been? I'm not. Well, I'm. We're both off at it. But okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's rock it. Let's. Robert. What do you have to say? What the fuck, fuck is happened. going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oscars, everybody. This week, gotta love them. We're gonna dedicate a whole other episode just to the fucking Oscars, and I say fucking Oscars because they fucked up and they didn't deserve Royally. to have yeah be called the fucking Oscars. Yeah. So we gotta talk about that this week. Uh, we also have in store for you our top five. It's our top five movies about the movies, a right. celebration of the Oscars. Yeah. So instead of critiquing one film in particular, we're gonna talk about the telecast itself, the yep. Oscar ceremony, and then we'll launch into our top five. It almost feels sacrilegious to discuss this without Eric being here. Eric I miss was him. here. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I miss yeah. him too. Yeah. He will be missed. He will be missed. Rest yeah. in peace. Actually, aren't you a little relieved that he's not here? Yeah. A little bit. A lot. <laughs> well, first of all, yeah. as is tradition, we got to talk about some fan mail. We have a little bit of fan mail that oh. came in. Now, Ira. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know this is coming, right? Is it bad? No, it's not. It's not bad. Let me pull it up here. Um, okay, so this first... Person says, Ira definitely didn't answer my question about what kind of porn he likes to what watch. What the fuck is this all about? We're not trying to do this to learn about Ira and his kinky ways. We're I here think to critique. We are. <laughs> We're but here I'm to just critique. saying, this person followed up. So, therefore, you're putting me on the spot and hoping that I'll articulate that now. Again. It ain't going to happen. No. But I want to know who that person is. Who's that listener? I, I right? don't have names. Hmm. No names. Yeah. Yeah, you sure? Yeah. You know, you probably wrote that. You think so? You probably wrote that. <laughs> you know Just I to egg it out of me, huh? No, because I know what kind of porn you watch. <laughs> I know the answer. Um, Was that our only... Did we get any other feedback about the quality of the show, how no. eloquent we are, no, how just, articulate, how we how we mount our arguments, how you know we back why? it up with example? Because nobody gives a fuck about that. They <laughs> just, just want to know what kind of porn you watch. <laughs> so what kind of porn do you Come watch? Come on, Robert. This is a movie about movies. What better way to discuss it than the best movies of all? Porn. What kind of porn do you watch, Ira? I'm, I'm, I don't have any one particular kind. Just like your women. <laughs> <laughs> At least you said women. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just like your trannies. <laughs> so would you... Uh, okay. It's Saturday night. No. Okay. It's Saturday night. And you're feeling especially lonely. You go to Pornhub. You type in what? Well, instead of going to my computer and typing in Pornhub, Hub, I would probably drive over and see you and suck your dick. But I'm Why saying... watch it when I'm I out can of town. It? I'm out of town that weekend. Oh, God. You are truly by yourself. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. What would you type in? Big, black, and beautiful? Sure. I don't have any... You know, it's all... Okay. I'm going to answer this. I'm being okay. quite serious right now. In spite of what we heard about 
myself two weeks ago. Uh-huh. I'm not a porn film watching kind of guy. I'm not. I'm not. I don't get off on watching it on screen. I'd rather do it than observe it. Okay. Uh, seriously. I've, I've always known that about myself. I mean, sure, it's there, and maybe every now and then I'll, I'll watch a little bit and dabble, but I don't have a passion for porn. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've, so would you be more likely to do like a webcam kind of thing? You know what I'm talking about? Like where you watch do, some girl touch herself? Only if I can participate. Well, yeah, but yeah. You, the idea is that, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stick the vibrator up your butt, and then right. she does Are that. Are you asking me if I've ever done that? Have you ever done that? Well, yeah. I okay. Mean, yeah. yeah. So With w- girls in Thailand. And, yeah, Thailand? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, but would you say that Robert, that's the kind of porn that you would watch? You're like really setting me up. How you? is this a setup? You're setting me up. You're setting me up. Yeah, I'm not a porn kind of guy. Anyway, we're here to talk about the Oscars. This is money shot, man. <laughs> it's not cum shot. It's yeah. money shot. Speaking of which, this next user totally called us out. You didn't come up with any money shots for fist fight. Did somebody really say Someone that? Someone said that. We realized it as soon as we powered off the mics last week. You, me, and Josh all turned to each other and said, we didn't come up with any money shots. Not only for fist fight, but for our top five favorites. We also try to acknowledge what was the money shot in right. those films as well. We didn't do it at all. What, what the, what's what the purpose of the money of this podcast? In then? fact, even two weeks ago, we spoke about our, our favorite love stories. Mm-hmm. And, and we did that for Valentine's Day. We forgot to acknowledge the mm-hmm. theme and why we were doing that that particular night and honor of Valentine's Day. We blew it. Man. What's wrong with us? What is wrong with us? Yeah. All right, well, I think we should correct this wrong. By doing what? W- what was the money shot for Fist Fight? Did you have a money shot? Now, you didn't like the film, so right. did you feel like there, were, there was no money shot? Well, since you liked the film, and you're probably the only one on the planet, <laughs> why don't you tell us what you felt the money shot? For me, the money shot was the closing credits, because I knew I could walk the fuck out of there. <laughs> that joke is going to wear so thin. Um, for me, the money shot was the fight at the end. Getting into the ring, uh, there was like a big ring of people when they finally had the fight. The showdown. camera was looking down. Right, camera was up, looking down. We literally saw a circle with all the crowd gap. Sorry, I'm taking this away. From no, you. that's ab- yeah, absolutely. But I can I remember that image. And then there was also um, some, uh, for whatever reason, the I, I'm sure it was improvisational improvisational dialogue uh, about. In the beginning, with the crazy guidance counselor lady, when she was talking about being hooked on meth, for whatever reason, that really stuck out in my brain. Why? So I, I don't that, know why. I liked was, it. I thought it was funny. It made me laugh. Hmm. I I feel so alone in this argument about why I, I actually enjoyed Fist Fight, but I I'm gonna stand by it. It was my honest opinion. Is I have enjoyed you read the, the reviews? I'm sure they're awful. Yeah. 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 You're, but the, I enjoyed you're the odd it. one. That's what mattered. I, you were, I was sitting next to you. You were laughing. Yeah. You were chuckling. Yeah. You were into I it. I guess I'm a sucker for fart jokes. I, I don't guess. Know. I guess. It doesn't talk much about the film. It says more about you, doesn't it? Maybe. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. L- let's get off that topic. Yeah, okay. Pronto. Yeah. All right. And this last what person. What kind of porn do you like? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> this, that was not about me. Ooh. Yeah, wait I've never seen week. a porn. Wait till next week. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, so this next person wrote kind of a long email, but I want to read the entire thing. Usually I just pull out a few snippets, but I thought this was really interesting. So I'm going to read this whole thing. I think it's going to set us up uh, to talk about the Oscars. But this person says, I didn't watch the Oscars tonight, but now I keep hearing about the mix-up between La La Land and Moonlight. I'm sure the mix-up will be the central feature of your show tonight. 
that's interesting to me. If I were doing the show, I'd just say last night somebody made a mistake and mixed up the envelopes and other news and then move on. But of course, you won't say that because last night's mistake is considered an epic fail that will be remembered for years to come. Wow. Where do, you, where do you live? <laughs> right next where to the police are... station, apparently. Yeah. Um, it says, I think it's interesting how much we love mistakes. And if the mix-up hadn't happened, last night's events would have just been another round of Oscars. We love seeing other people's weaknesses. Maybe in a Hollywood full of airbrushing and perfectly chiseled bodies, we like the humanness, the frailty that reminds us that everyone makes mistakes. You know who said something similar to that? John Voight. Really? Do you have any? He no. said the same thing, that it's always about perfection. It doesn't have to be about... Make it real. Make it human. He was actually not defending what happened, but just acknowledging it and saying it's all part of life. It was interesting coming from, from John Voight, of all people. Well, John Voight has made his fair share of mistakes, right? And, uh, I mean, just with his family, with you know Angelina oh, Jolie yeah. and things like that. I'm sure he's had a lot of regrets. He's been around in the industry long enough to know. But... I really like the last part of the, the last paragraph where uh, this person wrote in about mistakes. And I think they're right because we do. We, we focus so much on the mistakes. Now, for anyone listening who, who doesn't know what happened, yes, why don't who's you been tell, living why don't under you a rock, through it? last night during the Oscars, um, the, so Warren Beatty and Faye Donaway are presenting Warren Beatty opens up, this is for Best Picture, the last award given of the night. He opens it up, and dumbfoundedly, he kind of looks at it and hands it over to Faye Dunaway. She glances at it and screams, La La Land. But the problem was, the envelope was actually the envelope for Best Actress. And Emma Stone had won for La La Land, Best Actress. So she just saw La La Land and assumed that it was the Best Picture. Now, it wasn't, because it was Emma Stone's Best Actress envelope. La La Land thinks that they win. They run up on stage. They were the favorite to win anyway. Right. They uh, start their speeches. That's right. About halfway through their speeches, they're starting to hear murmurs coming from the, the producers in the back, back of the stage, and they're trying to say, no, I'm sorry, but you didn't win. Did you see the guy with the headset right. come into center frame like a stage manager or right. something? Yeah, go ahead. And this is important. If you <clears throat> haven't seen it, you need to see it because it's going to be parodied for years, yeah. right? This is going to be something that we're going to see in Saturday Night Live. We're going to see this in all sorts of other parodies, I'm sure. And you know, the guy with the headset, and then uh, and then the one of the producers for um, for La La, La La Land announces, "No, Moonlight, you won. Come up on stage. This isn't a joke. You guys won." And uh, he and then Moonlight comes up on stage, and they uh, announce they. Um, give their speeches. In the, in the interim, Warren Beatty explains what happens. Right. He says, here's what happened as I saw it. I handed it over to Faye. She said it, and I didn't know what to do. And then you know, Jimmy Kimmel comes out and says, this isn't a joke. This isn't a prank. Now, almost everyone has said that they thought this was a prank by Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel is known for right. his elaborate pranks. Right. And uh, you know, he's, he's always goofing on people. Uh, there was, real famously, a few years ago, he did a prank where there was a uh, there was a girl who it was a viral video of a girl who was doing a handstand, and th- I don't know if you ever saw this. She was doing a handstand in her house, and um, she was doing the handstand, on, and there was a glass coffee table th- with a candle on it. She did the handstand and uh, fell over onto the glass coffee table. The glass coffee table shatters, fire starts spreading, and she catches on fire. And for a, a week or two, this video went viral. 
And then Jimmy Kimmel played it on his show, and at the end, you see him busting through the door with a fire extinguisher and kind of putting out the flames. And so then you realize, okay, that was all a setup, and we were all suckered into believing that this girl actually did this this, uh, handstand and and, caught herself on fire. I remember that. So this is a prank that he's done on the general public. So when this happens, almost everyone says, okay, this is clearly a prank, but what an awful prank. But it wasn't a prank. And to me, I'm going, well, that's fitting, right? I mean, that, that's really interesting that this guy who's known for pranks, right. it's not even a... The irony. Right. The irony. By the way, some people, some people think it was intentional for ratings. No, I, I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think... <laughs> the, the conspiracy theorists yeah, out there... Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've talked to a few conspiracy theorists, even just within the past 24 hours, who believe that... You know that the Os- the Oscar committee or you know Price Waterhouse would do this. Do they really need the ratings? I don't think they need that bump, do they? Well, they were down last night. Did you hear about that? They were down considerably. But it's that, the lowest ratings in ten years. Okay, but then that would mean Which need mean that they knew that they were going to be low. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think that they knew that they were going to be low. I think people aren't tuning in because no one cares about these movies. These aren't the movies that people were really... Everyone thought for sure La La Land would win, which is a whole other topic of conversation that it, right. it got Hillaried, right? It, it got Hillaried. Yeah. <laughs> I make, I'm, I'm going to make that a, a term now. Being Hillaried. You know, you, you think you're going to win, and then you don't. And yeah, La La Land got Hillaried. It's very funny. Like what <laughs> I, what I, no, Actually, that's great. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. That What was it? That La La Land... What did I read? Got the... Uh, Popular vote, but uh, Moonlight got the electoral vote. (laughs) Very funny. It's. Have you noticed? Ever since Bowie died, we've been living in a bizarro world. Have you noticed this? Like the Cubs win the World Series. That's true. The the Patriots come back from like down by like twenty five points in the Super Bowl. All these celebrities start dying. It's really weird. It is weird. Hillary is supposed to win the election and it goes to, to Trump. Yeah. Since Bowie died, huh? Every, I, it's like a, a goocher, you yeah. know? It's like yeah. a weird, like, yeah. it's an omen. By the way, don't you feel Bowie should have been included in the tribute to the dead people? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, although he's not the man who fell to earth. Yeah. What else? That was a good um, film. Yeah. But, yeah, but uh, he wasn't, I, I still feel like he was represented I mean, he did Labyrinth as well. He was, he's right, been in, in right. a few... I'm surprised he wasn't included. Yeah. He's been in, in a few films. That I, he's such a recognizable face right. that I right. feel like he should have been in there. But getting back to your point, I didn't mean to derail you, mm. that it's so interesting that, yeah, the odd things. We're going through an odd cycle. Right. Things are topsy-turvy. And I think the majority of that was 2016, but it's still very early in 2017, and this just still feels like yeah. some of... Yeah. Like a little bit of 2016 left over. Maybe it's because it was the films that were released in 2016. Whoa. 2016 was fucking weird. It was, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's so much bad, weird, fucked up stuff. And the Super Bowl, too. And the, I mean, the the Cubs winning, it's it's odd. Hmm. Okay. But let's get back to this idea of mistakes. Don't you feel like, I, I think the email said it really eloquently, but it was, I, I feel like in a way after reading that, I was like, I was thinking, you know, I do think that we are obsessed with mistakes that people make. When Steve Harvey uh, screwed up with the uh, Miss America pageant, 
everyone jumped down his throat. That's all anyone wanted to talk about is how he screwed up. Don't you feel like we're obsessed with other people's mistakes? And Robert, we love to blame. Yes. We love to blame. Um, We like to point a finger, and I think psychologically we need that form of closure whose fault this was so we can put it in a tidy package, put a ribbon on it, say their fault, boom, and file that away. Right. We need to do that. There's a profound need psychologically for us to point fingers. And then punish that person. Yeah. So that we can move on. Yeah. There has to be a scapegoat. And I I think, I mean, we're already trying to do that. Like, whose fault was it? Everyone wants to blame Warren Beatty. Um, but Warren Beatty, I don't think he did anything Well, what's wrong. so interesting is people are la- labeling as Warren. It was actually Faye Dunaway who, who said it, who said the wrong film. But um, people, I was reading all that on Facebook last night, like to blame Warren. She should have known better. Well, actually, it's a combination of factors. Right. Obviously, it was the, um, the guy who handed him the envelope, the mm-hmm. red envelope. That was the initial fault. Right. In a perfect world, it would have been nice if... Warren and or Faye had seen what this award was for, and it was indeed the wrong card. They didn't do that. Right. But I want to suggest to you that, number one, they are getting on in years. Mm-hmm. Number two, it was a live broadcast. Number three, it was at the end of the show, and they want to keep this thing going. And you could feel the hesitance in Warren's voice. Mm-hmm. And like something wasn't quite comfortable, but they still, he, she still blurted out the wrong movie anyway. Well, I think, I, I, I know what you're saying. They're getting on in years. In a way, I'm, I'm, I, I hear you, but if we were to replace old, I mean, we're essentially saying, okay, Warren Beatty is, is getting old. But if we were to replace that with saying Warren Beatty is kind of black, I mean, imagine how racist that would sound. It's not okay to say, okay, just because he's old. I mean, there are old people who are completely right, but he competent didn't look who well can do he this. he was shaking. Did you notice that? Yeah. His hand was he didn't look well. He seemed a little bit detached. But I'll tell you why I think... I, I, I think he fucked it up because this man has been a prominent Hollywood star since the 1960s. That means all through the 70s, all through the 80s, all through the 90s, all through the early 2000s, and then even seven years into the teens, 20 teens. This guy has had assistants. He's had people who have done most of the harder problems in his life. I, I don't think Warren Beatty's going to pick up his own dry cleaning. I don't think he's problem solving on a regular basis. And I think when those kinds of problems happen, he's probably someone who's going to turn and say, okay, can someone take care of this for me? Right. This is, he can recognize the problem, but I don't think he's the one who solves most of the problems. And even though he's directed films, I think you turn to your crew and you say, crew, we have a problem. Someone solved this problem. And then people go, it's Warren Beatty telling you, you got to solve a problem. Let's go solve it for him. And so in the heat of the moment, he's standing there responsible and he turns to someone a friend that he's known for years and years and years saying, Hey, we have a problem. And she just jumps and he's going, uh, 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 not the solution. I don't think. And now all of a sudden it's just kind of overwhelming and probably in the back of his mind, because he knew that La La Land was the favorite to win anyway. He probably was like, well, fuck it. Let's just go. And did you hear they, they showed it on the news this evening. Uh, they upped the sound and you could hear Warren saying to Faye, the envelope said actress. He said that to her hmm. right after they announced the wrong winner. So he knew something was wrong. Right. So I don't think he's senile. I just don't think he acted with the appropriate... He recognized the problem, but I don't think he knew how to take care of the problem. And that, to me, doesn't mean he's senile. It says to me that he just 
isn't used to solving a lot of problems. I think most people in that situation who are used to solving problems that aren't a Hollywood legacy, uh, they would say, okay, we need to get the right envelope out here. Can we have that, please? And someone would come running out with the correct of envelope. Course, of That's course. That's what you and I would do because we go pick up our own dry cleaning. We do these kind of regular I know, I know. But again, not justifying what went wrong, but seeing the words La La Land on the envelope. We yeah. saw those words yeah. and thinking it was best film mm-hmm. and it was easy to make that mistake. But a lot of people are blaming either Warren or Faye. But let's talk about the Price Waterhouse guy. Yeah. We well, should explain is, that there's two sets. Robert, explain that to how there's... So, <clears throat> you remember, I even texted you last night saying right. something's going on because uh, what's her name? Who got Best Actress? Um, uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone was saying to the press afterwards, she said, well, now this is highly confusing because I still have my envelope. Yeah. They keep the red envelope with right. their name on it. They keep it with the Oscar. But there are and two There envelopes. are two sets, right. And so backstage... Uh, because presenters could enter from either side of the stage, there are two Price Waterhouse uh, representatives, and these are not interns. These are very high uh, officials within the Price Waterhouse uh, company. They are trusted. This is you know a huge issue for them. They want to make sure that everything is absolutely secure, so they don't just hand this off to some lackey. But what happened is things got confusing, I guess, and they handed the wrong envelope but it would since there's two from right. every side so that right. that way if someone enters from one side then they have it covered right. it, it was a safety measure it was basically like what if warren for whatever reason is going on stage and he needs to get the envelope from the opposite side of the stage from the stage from the side that he was entering on well okay we've got the envelope over here we'll give it to him sure clearly things got confused um and so that's why emma stone had the envelope in her hand the correct uh, the envelope with her name, and there was one that was given to right. uh, to Warren Beatty. Right. Confusing, well, at least. Yeah. Um, but I think the real question the, is: Is this going to be a net benefit for them? For who? For everyone. Are you talking about for the Academy? Or are you talking about the filmmakers? Well, for, let's break it down. All right. Well, number one, it's getting us to talk about it. Right. And there's that's positive. I I well, there's the discussion the, would have been. Moonlight beat La La Land. That's all the discussion would have been if everything had gone smoothly. Right. That would have been the big upset. Right. And not much of an upset. It was the second favorite. Mm-hmm. And so it would have been like, oh, wow, man, I can't believe that that won. Huh. How about that? But the way in which it won and to award someone. Now, you and I have done speech competitions. We've seen this done a few We've times. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen. Well, obviously, both parties lose. Right. Both parties lose. It was an embarrassment to the producers of La La Land. By the way, he was eloquent, that one producer, yeah. when he just knew what was going on and mm-hmm. did his best to correct it. And he was quite articulate. And I want to make the point, too, that the, uh, the filmmakers of, of uh, Moonlight kind of got screwed over because they did not have their moment at the end of the show when they got the award and everyone would stand and applaud and suddenly because it was so disjointed and so confusing you're you I know what you're you, saying do you disagree with me on that um, they never I got think that aha uh-huh. I think well, they, they did, did but it was a fucked up way yeah and people are going to talk about the fucked up way they didn't have their traditional moment of glory that they got best film it was so chaotic on stage that's what we remember they didn't have that aha moment. I see what you're saying. Um, I, I kind of disagree. I think people did. They were, they were trying to almost overcompensate. And I think there were more people like, okay, we really need to stand up and applaud at this point. Now, I have talked to a few people 
I talked to two people, one in particular, who felt like a lot of this stuff was done because of the um, like a conspiracy, in particular in response to the fact that um, that the Academy, especially last year, was not very uh, rewarding of black actors and uh, and not representing black films. And I, I not only do I think that's ridiculous to to go with conspiracy route. The producer of Moonlight was white. I know. So that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. I've read a lot of tweets and a lot of uh, social media that's talking about, yeah, to see uh, white people have it stripped out of their hands and give given to a black person is a representation of where we need to go in this world and things that it, it's ridiculous. That's so dumb, especially when the the woman who produced Moonlight was white. I know. Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense. Right. But let me pose this to you. This okay. was me last night at two in the morning. Robert, what if it was flipped? What if, and the award goes to Moonlight Speed. You know where I'm going mm-hmm. right now. You're giving me a great smile. Mm-hmm. And and it, right in the middle, I say, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. It's La La Land. Would there be more of a public outcry than there was with this mm. snafu? Yes. 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 Yeah, I think there would. Would there be violence in the streets? Would they? No. Would they torch the city? Would they turn cars upside down? No. No, but, I don't think but, so. But, but there would the, definitely would be, be more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. The fact, would the problem torch, about it though is, here's the real torch problem: the city <laughs> over listening to what I'm saying. Over La La Land. Well, but I think the problem with it is that there's so much of a cry for for political correctness and seeing the other side, the people are losing sight that, Hey, it's just a movie that even in moonlight, we talked about, we reviewed the film. And as we mentioned, I think there was one white person in the whole movie in the background. That's right. It was predominantly a black film. And I think there might've been a Latino, but I think it was almost all black, but that didn't stop me from watching the film and enjoying the film. I really liked the film. I so know. I remember, I think, the problem is that people use a film like like Moonlight to be this not conduit but like a um a, a symbol for race. They're saying this is black as if white people can't enjoy the film. And La La Land is white. Very white. And as if black people can't enjoy that film or any other, you know, race or creed. But what you're saying is true and a lot of people are interpreting it that way especially on the heels of what happened last year. But that's racist. I, I damn right it is. That's damn racism. right it is. It's racist to yep. think that Moonlight represents black people. It doesn't represent black people. It represents the characters that it's trying to, to. And I would argue none of those characters needed to be black. I mean, the fact that you're seeing it as a black film is inherently racist. Right. So if you don't see color, quote unquote, which is the the cry that we hear so often, then why are you using that as a as a tool to represent the black community. It shouldn't represent the black community. There's nothing about it that needed to be a a black story. It could have been just as easily a a white guy. We could have set that. I mean, we could have changed all the characters to white and the story would have worked almost exactly the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it wasn't that way. It's not how it's perceived. Is it? And I wonder why. Because, because of the national racist. climate, because we're racist, because, because of all that's going we're on out there. We're looking to find race right, in right. everything. Right. When there ain't any. 
Right. There, there was it's it, not a, it shouldn't that's not the kind of film it was. Right. It wasn't speaking about race. And I think the fact that it didn't have any white people in there actually made it more clear that it wasn't about race. It was about human relations. You said it best, it's a love story. It's a love story about these characters. It, you could definitely argue that it's about homosexuality. You could use a feminist approach and analysis and you could talk about how um, the 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 gay community is affected by this film. Sure, I'll go there with all of that. But I don't think it's a race film. No, it is a love story. Did I? I did say that. You said I? that. Yeah. Wow. It's about parents. It's about class. It's about uh, homosexuality. It's about love. It's about all of those things. But it's not about race. The only stuff that is about race is stuff that we, as a culture, bring into the muni- the, the film on our own. Like we, in the community, we see what's not being shown. We see. Uh, poor drug addled mom and we think oh that's racist of us right so that's it's all the guilt that we bring into the film itself the film just says okay mom doesn't care about son not necessarily that mom um should be like a white soccer mom anyway that it's uh it's universal i think sorry to get on my little soapbox there but that's it bothers me that people are looking to find race in so much of our and they're not looking towards class which I think I've told you before privately I think that's a a a huge issue that people are undermining we're not looking towards class issues Mm -hmm. and class issues are are still very prevalent within our our community and we're not addressing that we're addressing race we don't address age issues and age we are far more of an ageist society than we are right. a a racist society we have a segment of our population who cannot vote who cannot um have ownership of property and yet laws still fully apply to them and these are minors right minors are not allowed to vote for any sort of politician until they turn 18 years old and they can't, they can't own anything and all of that is because of their age. So no matter how politically minded they are, the government says you can't do this until you are 18 years old. And that's fucked up. It's fucked up that we do that. Now, I don't have a better system in play because anything that we do is going to be arbitrarily drawing a line. You know, we can't, if we lower the voting age down to 10 years old, why 10? Why not nine? You know, that's still just as ageist, but there's, you know, there's certainly people who are affected by government's decisions and yet we don't focus on that we don't focus on the way that we treat elderly people um and our- they still have forced retirement does that still exist in corporations it was, I don't a, know. it was an issue decades ago about corporations pushing you out if you're you know 60 65 forced retirement really yeah yeah you've heard that yeah i've heard you? of yeah. it but i but i wonder if it's still going on today hmm. i don't know i don't know but that's the kind of thing that i'm talking yeah. about we, we when do you hear about that kind of political issue. There's so many political issues that our community or our culture just, we're so obsessed with race and gender that we don't think about all these other ways to slice the pie. Sometimes we get into beautyism a little bit where we start talking about, oh, well, this person's prettier than that person and stuff like that. But, um, but we don't talk about age very much. We, I mean, I'm, I would argue I'm a white straight male but I would argue that the biggest advantage that I have is my height. I'm constantly being judged favorably because of my height. Right. That's the first thing that people say when they meet me is, damn, you're tall. They don't say, damn, you're white. They don't say, damn, you're straight. 
I, I don't know. I mean, I get huge advantages of the fact that I'm tall. We're a tallest society. So where's tallest, all the, tallest, yeah. where's all the, the fight for the, short, fight people? the short people? And why is it necessarily okay to say that to anybody that's tall? You wouldn't go up to somebody and just say, you know, hey, you're short, but for some reason you can say, hey, you're tall. As yeah, if yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. wouldn't go up to somebody and say, hey, you sure are black. Like, that's totally rude, but we do it all the time. It's like we've accepted some adjectives as things that we can discuss and others that we don't. Right. Anyway, sorry to get off wow. on a jag. I like your tangents, Roger. <laughs> I do. That's where the gems are. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> I think this time. But anyway, getting back to this. So do you think this is going to be a net positive for the Oscars? For the Well, it's getting a buzz. People are talking about it like we are right now. Um, I don't think it's going to be a negative either. It'll have... When we talk benefit, you're talking about ratings for next year, mm-hmm. and I think it'll ha- either be zero effect or or somewhat positive, but not negative. I tell it's you what, generating interest. I, we're talking. I'm already interested in what kind of jokes they're going to make. They've oh, got to yeah, be making. Yeah. Whoever hosts next year has got to address that, right? Of course. How could you not? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think if they're smart, they'll bring Jimmy Kimmel back. And let him make fun of himself because that would be really funny. He was a good host. He was. He was a good host. He was solid. In fact, I feel sorry for Jimmy because people would be saying that right now that it was a solid show. It was one of the better award shows, better yeah. one of the better Oscar telecasts, and he kept it moving. Yeah. I thought his opening monologue was very funny. Yeah. And uh, Justin Timberlake at the beginning, I liked it. I don't know what that had to do with movies, but I still liked the song and dance thing that Justin did at the beginning. Jimmy Kimmel's opening monologue was right on. Yeah. And it was a good, solid show. People would be talking about that. If the snafu hadn't have happened, I think you're so right. So I feel bad for for Jimmy because he he pulled it off. He was funny at the end when he said, "Well, that's it. I'm not coming back next yeah. year." <laughs> uh, I like that he got the Steve Harvey joke in there too. I was he wondering was, if he would. Yeah. I, we're we're equating this with Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a couple things that I loved. I loved the Starline tour where they brought it, the people in in the middle of the. It worked. It worked. So what happened? You want to discuss? What you happened? tell us about it, and then I'll give the. Impression. So I like it when you when I describe yeah, it. Yeah. So oh, steer. They steer the bus. Steer the tour bus. They ba- <laughs> uh, they basically set it up so that these um, probably what would you say like fifteen people or so mm-hmm. that were on a Hollywood tour. Uh, they were secretly brought into the theater and the doors opened and they were right in the middle of the Oscars. And so this was a. Uh, a practical joke. Again, Jimmy is known for his practical jokes. And it was a joke on these 15 people who just show up in the middle of the Oscars. And they're, you know, rubbing elbows with uh, with Denzel Washington and, and uh, Meryl Streep and everyone else. And they're in the front row t- seeing A-list celebrities. And I think, didn't Jennifer Aniston give her sunglasses to somebody yeah, or something yeah, like that? Yeah. These great little moments, this interaction between just the common everyday people and the celebrities. And the celebrities were the ones that were, they were still kind of in control. They were still had the power, uh, but the, the common everyday people were kind of plucked down and put into the celebrity world. But you know what? And I love that meet. It was a very strong beat because mm-hmm. I actually made a list of some of my own personal highlights knowing we we're going to talk about it this evening. Um, a good buddy I had um, breakfast with this morning, whose name I won't divulge, Stan. And so he was saying that that shows, <sighs> he felt it was kind of a negative taste because it showed the juxtaposition 
of the haves, Hollywood royalty, right. and the not. And that's and, a class and, issue, and, right? Yes. But I, I embraced when he said that. It just brought that up. I agree. And, and it was a little bit, not uncomfortable, but it kind of pushed it in our faces because these are the pretty people. Now, let these me are ask the pretty people with jewelry and the dresses and they're, at, and they're multi-billionaires and having these people get off the bus and that guy taking pictures with his camera. There was a juxtaposition of, of class. You're right. And, now, and let me ask that you. felt a little bit... Don't you think that our culture is starting to bleed those lines anyway? I mean, you, st- you see really poor people who are wearing, you know, they have Prada bags, they have, you know, Chanel this or whatever. They have steal it. Louis Vuitton. No, no, no. <laughs> they're buying it on credit that they can't <laughs> afford to pay back, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. They, they're buying, they're living well outside their means, driving, you know, leased cars and things like that that they can't afford. And then you also have, on the other side of things, you have George Clooney and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio who are driving a Prius. And it's, it's like, where's your Bentley? Where's your Rolls Royce? And, it really, and they're dressing slovenly. And it really is like we're, we're starting to become... Maybe. I would like to hope. I, I, I would want to believe that what you're like saying is true. It's like the poor people are, are dressing rich and the rich people are dressing poor. Is George Clooney driving the Prius to be cool to show he's at one with the people? I, I think in a way. I think there's a part of that. I think it's also an environmental thing, which is an extension of that. Right. It's a guilt. It's a white, rich guilt. It's like, well, I shouldn't do this. I think that's that's part of why you know Angelina and, and Brad were adopting so many kids. It's like this kind of white guilt. We, sh- we have enough to do. We have means to, to, to help these people. We should do that. And it's a white guilt. Um, I mean, it's the same thing that Rockefeller and Carnegie were doing back, you know, a hundred years ago, right? They were just giving everything to charities. Right, right. But it did remind me of that. It did. I wasn't uncomfortable, but I was aware. I was aware of the juxtaposition of the two worlds mm. clashing at that moment on that stage. I agree, but I loved it. I, I did think too. It's, it reminded me of when, uh, you know, when Ellen brought in the pizza. Remember the pizza guy? Right. It was the same thing, bringing in an outsider. Yeah. Uh, and, and. Yeah, so it was the same collision of cultures. Getting back to Jimmy Kimmel, one thing that he did, and and this might be in your notes as well, but I loved, okay, I've always been fascinated with the running gag of Matt Damon. You know, that, go ahead, you talk. And it's, they've had this running gag about how much they hate each other. But the fact that Mac Damon has been such a, a good, good sport. sport about it and really played into it and gone, oh, yeah, this is great, man. There was that one moment where he grimaced. Yeah. Did you remember that one quick moment yeah. on camera last night? And yeah. he was like, Matt Damon was like, just, yeah, yeah just fake grimacing. Like yeah. he was really upset. Yeah. And then he got just, played off, you know, when they were trying to do the announcement for the awards. I know. And, um, and there's a really great line where uh, it said, now uh, presenting for the next award is Ben Affleck and guest. And then they were kind of like, I'm not, they didn't even say my name. Well, and you know, at the end of every Jimmy Kimmel show, do you know this? At right. the end of every show, he says, unfortunately, we didn't have enough time to get to Matt Damon. I know. So it's so an do you know shtick. how that began? I don't know. Uh, so Jimmy Kimmel was basically, they weren't getting really good guests at the time. And he just said he would, you know, he just said something to make one of the producers laugh. And so he just said, uh, yeah, sorry, we didn't have enough time to get to Matt Damon. That was the first name that popped to his mind. And he was really just trying to make the producer laugh as if, 
you know, Matt Damon was sitting backstage and they just didn't have time for him. You know, but instead they had time for all these really shitty guests. This is back in the early days when Jimmy Kimmel was still, mm-hmm. was he going to make it or not? And, um, and he just kept saying it over and over to, get, to make this producer laugh and then just kind of became a thing. And then Matt Damon was like, okay, well, let's play with this. And I think it's really provided for some really interesting dynamic, especially now with a, in the, the Oscars and everyone's watching and this kind of fake public feud gets played out in such a hilarious way. And I, Matt Damon is just such a good champ about everything. And by the way, at the very, very end of the show, after that snafu, mm-hmm. when Jimmy Kimmel had to make a few comments before wishing everyone good night, this didn't come from me. This is a shout out, someone I shouldn't identify, Eric. And Eric said, Jimmy Kimmel missed a great beat where at the very end, after that huge fuck up, he could have said, Matt Damon, you did it again. Yeah. An acknowledgement that this was all Matt Damon's fault. Right. That would have been... Another dig. It could have been an incredible dig. Maybe inappropriate. I don't know, but it's it's almost too much, but it would be very funny. It would be funny if he released a press statement now saying, I just want to say it was all Matt Damon's Damon's fault. fault. That would be funny. He's doing the show tonight. I guess he's... I'm curious to see... If he did, if we he should turn something. on the TV right now and <laughs> let's. What time does it come on? No, in 15 minutes. We can turn on and listen to it while we're. Maybe next week we'll talk about what he says. Um, but yeah, I I do think that Jimmy did a great job. His monologues, his monologue was great. The the jokes were were really funny for a change. Yeah. Um, they were his style. Yes. I felt like too. Yeah. I don't remember the jokes, but I remember liking them a lot and yeah. smiling and laughing. Yeah. So that w- that was great. Yeah. Another observation about the Oscars, please. Also, is that um, it was interesting because I was anticipating a lot of um, anti-Trump comments. Yes. And there really weren't there any. There weren't. Now much. there were a few jokes, and they were jokes mostly coming from Jimmy uh, against Trump. There were some very funny things that were said, but there were no real damning comments about the current administration. Right. And I was expecting that. If anything, the comments were more about um, about being inclusive and uh, and that we're all together. This yeah. the wall. But there was nothing aimed at Trump in particular. Right. They weren't doing jabs except for the humor. Uh, they didn't come on really strong with anti-Trump comments, and I was uh, surprised, and I was uh, I was kind of pleased with that. Yeah, I wonder if because of Meryl Streep's um, kind of her her speech at the Golden Globes, I think everyone was kind of expecting that we would have that out of our system. And I almost wonder if that's why she chose the Golden Globes because she realizes it's not the Oscars is not the place for this. Mm-hmm. The Golden Globes are. I think people think of that as like this the 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 B level Oscars, mm-hmm. but um, and maybe maybe they are. But the Golden Globes are notoriously. Um, yeah, you, know, you can buy a Golden Globe. Do you know what I mean? Like you, that they're notoriously corrupt, where you can just basically have dinner with enough of these foreign press agents and get them to to basically vote for you. Uh, oh, I thought you meant I could go down Hollywood Boulevard and actually buy. Well, if a you have enough money, Golden then Globe you probably could. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I wonder if everybody kind of just said, "All right, but that's the Golden Globes. It's, it's acceptable there. It's not acceptable." on the most formal of our nights. Right. And there are some things that are still sacred. We don't do that. Look at what happened with Marlon Brando when he tried to make it political in the 1970s. It blew up in his face, and it, it did not go over well for him. Let's keep the Oscars pure. 
Uh, that's what I would recommend, or what I what I think is going on, not rec- recommend, but right. what I suspect. Right, that could be it. So I was surprised. I was I was pleasantly surprised, and instead it was about inclusion, and uh, and that we're all together in the melting pot thing and no right. wall, but nothing, no real harsh anti-Trump comments were made in speeches. Oh, by the way, getting back for one moment about the uh, the wrong envelope, you know, it did happen in a previous telecast. It was not for best film. It didn't happen for best film. And they showed it uh, where Sammy Davis Jr., do you know about this, Robert? No, I don't. Was given the wrong envelope. It was the wrong category. It was the wrong category. He was supposed to do song, and they gave him another one. But he noticed it. He said, you gave me the wrong envelope. And then Sammy Davis Jr. quipped, well, I'm going to tell the NAACP about this. Uh. Everyone held and said, so yes, the wrong envelope has happened prior, but not for best film. It will never happen again. No, it won't. It will never, ever happen again. Ever. Ever. Um, I mean, at least for another 100 years. <laughs> they're still doing it. I mean, in 100 years, it, it, it's the kind of thing that they're just never going to fuck that up. It's going to be checked, double-checked, and triple-checked. And there will be new measures. Now, the other question I had for you, we talked about, is it good for the Oscars? Do you think this is good for Price Waterhouse? Do you, will Initial, they be back next year to handle this? Yeah. Uh, initially, it's obviously negative publicity. Yeah. No, I don't think it's good for Pricewaterhouse. I can't imagine how uh, that no, would be good. it's not good. I wonder if they will be back next year. That poor guy. It was the guy, of the two of them, the man and the woman, it was mm-hmm. the man. He was the one who handled mm-hmm. the wrong, they figured, they got to that bottom, they figured out who it was. Who handed the wrong envelope? Right. So it was the man, and um, should he be fired? I don't know. I, I agree. It's a mistake, I, I, Robert. Everyone, see, even on they're going to fire his ass. Heads are going to be rolling. He made a mistake. He will never make that mistake again. Right. He will never make that mistake again. But again, what I was saying earlier about blaming, pointing fingers. Right. Oh, you're dude, dude. You're you're fucking fired, man. Well, no, he won't make that mistake ever again. And I, I, Why do we want yeah, retribution? Yeah. For what? Because it feels good. Because it's our animal instinct. It's like the schadenfreude, uh, like, I want to see everyone have pain. Miserable. Makes what you feel better that? about yourself. Huh. I didn't make that kind of mistake. Yeah. My shit doesn't smell. That's the argument. That's that what it is. It makes you feel better about who you are. How could he be so stupid and the wrong? People need that. It's not a good quality of the human circus i mean look maybe i'm guilty of it too in some ways but i really don't like the idea that we feel like we have to bring everyone else down to make ourselves feel better i'm I'm much more of the idea and i know you're this way too i'd much rather just elevate myself absolutely heads are gonna roll facebook yeah what fire his ass yeah yeah for handing the wrong envelope yeah yep and let's i mean how many times has this guy done it correctly that's right that's right. And he fucks up. Yeah. You, have you ever fucked up in your job? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we've all done that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, the tour it, bus. Oh, the, oh, I'm sorry. What, 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 what? No one died. Do you know what I mean? This right. is not a medical right. fuck up. Right. No one, no one really got hurt. Some feelings got hurt on a big night where everybody's watching. And it's embarrassing, but no one died. No one should be fired over that. No one should be yelled at. He knows what he did. You just bring him into the office and go, hey, come on. You know what? He does, no one has to yell. It's within him. Yeah. 
Can you imagine going home to his wife that night, last night? Oh, I'm sure. Can you imagine? <laughs> right now, Robert and I are giving each other a dumbfounded <laughs> look. Put yourself in that position. Come in. Hi, honey, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, How was right. your night, dear? How did the show go? Well, everyone's well, talking about it. Surely you watched it on TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine the kind of... Um, I mean, the kind of guilt that this guy is feeling. By the way, Emma was really a class act, too, uh, afterwards Mm -hmm. when she said backstage to the press that how much she loved Moonlighting, and she said it was one of the best movies she has ever seen, Mm -hmm. and she's very happy for the outcome. Of course, she kind of has to say that, but the words were pouring out of her. You can't really say, ah, fucking... Although it'd be awesome if she did. It really would. It'd be great. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, Robert, because I I actually predicted Uh the opposite. I was going around yesterday afternoon saying there's a good chance that La La Land will get best film, but best director will go to Moonlighting. I I was Moonlight. I made that argument, but it was it was was the opposite. It was flipped to that. And and I like that it went down this way because I told you before, I think Moonlight was was the better directed movie. Right. Well, I really do, because you have so many different actors who you have to be on board with. You have to be very clear through in your direction of um, there's less room to allow interpretation of the character. There has to be a unification of your actors because these actors are spread out through, uh, you know, there's different actors portraying the same character over a different period of time. I think that's a more challenging uh, attempt at directing. I was going to say to you that um, La La Land had the more, ambitious directing, but you might disagree with that. I, I do disagree with that. I feel you're going to disagree with that. I know you disagree with it, but I think you can appreciate why I'm saying that, yeah. that it was more the cinematography where everything else was more ambitious, but I had a feeling you would disagree with that. It's more complex, I would say. Mm-hmm. It's a more complex mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. but somehow, even though Moonlight is the simpler film, the challenge of trying to keep it all together that film could have been a big fat mess and other people have attempted those kinds of films before. And, um, I think what Todd Stolens did a film, is it storytelling? There was a film that he did where several different actors portrayed the same character and it, it wasn't very successful. It's hard to do those kinds of films. And I think he did it, um, quite beautifully and, and still maintained a really nice look and feel and color scheme, and we talked about a, a lot of that sim- symbolism within the film. And there was, I mean, look, La La Land was not a bad movie. We re- reviewed it on this podcast, and, and I liked it. It just doesn't, it wasn't my favorite, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and I agree. I liked it. I liked it a lot, but I didn't think it was worthy of all the accolades it was getting. Mm. Yeah, best film? Do um, you think, though, and th- this clearly poses the question, do you think that people didn't vote for it because they've, figured everyone else was going to vote for it. Wow. Why did it not win? I mean, it was winning everything else. Uh, Do you think maybe this could be a reaction to last year? It's possible. But, I mean, I I almost feel like... Okay. When Titanic came out, everyone was all about Titanic. Titanic, Titanic, Titanic. It was in the news everywhere. Do you remember this? It was just... Everyone was obsessed with it. And then it won for Best Picture. That's all pre-internet. And I almost wonder if in social media's 
in this day and age, we just get so oversaturated um, that the community becomes sick of it. And I think La La Land peaked too early. I think if the voting had happened three weeks later, they probably would have won. But the fact that they people, everybody had seen it and they were kind of like, yeah, it's good. It just wasn't great. They were looking to find something that was great. And Moonlight, I think, was the was a better film. And people kind of went, well, this is the great film this year or something like that. And they're kind of voting for that. That's what I think. Would, would, do you suspect that that's what's going on? That. And it, cer- it certainly could have been a reaction to last year's protest and boycott. Bending yeah. backwards. But, bending backwards. But Denzel the, didn't win. No, he Casey didn't. How about that? How about, by the way, he was pissed. Did you see that one close-up of him? He that was, like, one crying. Moment, he was really upset. Yeah. Um, when, uh, with the guy who won Best Actor. At, Casey Affleck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Casey acknowledged, acknowledged Denzel, and the camera went to Denzel, and Denzel he, he was, was tearing was up. Not, well, this would have been his third. Is that right? Would this have been his third? His, or se- his third, yeah, but second for Best Actor. Supporting. He won for... Supporting for... No, that was Best Actor that he was up for last night. He won for Best, best Supporting for Glory... And then he won training day. for Training Day right. for Best Actor. So this would have been his third Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't really be upset over not winning your third Oscar, right? Uh, he looked pretty upset about not winning his third Oscar. That's got to be real tough to hold your emotions in there. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe this film just really, really meant a lot to him. You know, because he directed it and was, it, it was such a, an important film for him to really bring the play... To the big screen, I think he, he probably was like, okay, this is going to get the recognition that it deserves, and this is an important film, and maybe he was disappointed about that. That's what I would say he's probably upset about. Let's talk about something else last night. Oh? You know I have a big crush, my man crush. On? Me. On you. Ira. <laughs> no. Let's talk about my other man crush, Mel Gibson. So... Wow. <laughs> who would have thought? Who are right, you? You talk, but I just want to say, who would have thunk? Who would have thunk what? Well, that was it 10 years ago, 12 years yeah. ago? With the, he's um, back. He's back. And he was not. And he, his, his movie won two Oscars. Uh, three, I think. It was right? it three? Yeah, it was a bunch of the we sound and editing and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, wow. Who, I didn't think that he was going to, that that film was going to win anything. Well, I thought he would be, he'd be dead in the industry. I'm a, he came back. Jews forgive. <laughs> I know that's why there's that new Hitler museum that they're that the <laughs> Jewish people are opening up. No, um, I, okay. In a in a few ways, okay. Look, whatever you, your opinion about Mel Gibson is, and as as a Jewish person sitting across from you, I'm sure you have some sort of opinion about Mel Gibson. Hell, I agreed with everything he said. <laughs> yeah. Especially the sugar tits thing. Yeah. Um, in a way, with as much money as that guy has, wouldn't it be easy for him to just say, "You know what? I'm done. Yeah, I'm going to call it a life. I'm going to I'm going to pull a page out of Brando's book, and I'm going to go buy an island, and and you'll never see me again." But instead, he kind of comes back and he starts making movies because of ego. Maybe is it ego or? I mean, I do think he has a big artistic desire to produce product. Right. But he could be making money doing something else. Yeah. I mean, he's got enough startup capital. He's uh, I mean, he owns a ton of real estate, tons of real estate. So he could just just do that. And 
um, and manage real estate and have enough money. It, it's an artistic expression, right? I mean, it's this draw towards making moves. And I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, I thought he looked goofy. What do you mean? He looked weird. He always he looks looked goofy. Go- what, he looked goofy. He's not aging well. You don't think so? No. Did you thought so? I thought I so. Know. I thought he looked pretty good. He looked off. Yeah. He always looks a little off. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like about him. He looked like the weird neighbor next door or the crazy uncle. I, I don't know what it is about that guy, but I, in his personal life, I, I don't care for. I don't care about his personal feelings, his personal politics, but damn, I can watch that guy on film. Anything that he does, I'm like, I, I find this infinitely watchable. He just plays the guy... He and Bruce Willis, both of them. You they just, just like him because he's anti-Semitic. Come on, own up to it. No, I hate Jews separately from this. <laughs> um, no, but I think uh, <coughs> I can just watch him get beat up over and over and over again. Him and Bruce Willis, like they both play those characters where they're just yeah. uh, drunken, recovering, you know, just this like grizzled, oh, I've had it up to here kind of thing. And yet they just keep coming back. And uh, and I love that. I love that Mel Gibson. I love the, the kind of, um, the Riggs uh, kind of character from from um, Lethal Weapon, you know that kind of that's crazy, yep. out of control, insane character. I think that's really interesting. Yep, and of course the Mad Max franchise. Uh, yep. You know I love yeah, that. Look, you should see these posters in Robert's home. I should. Max. I should see those. You should see those. <laughs> I meant to our uh, listeners. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, it was. Interesting to see him back there and to see him winning. Yeah. Who would have thought? I thought he was washed up, didn't you? I, I, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. I thought yeah. this is going to be really hard for him to recover. And, I, I mean, I don't know. Look, everything that he has said has been really gross. But it's all been stuff that he hasn't said publicly. And he hasn't done anything. He's said a lot of stuff. But it's usually when he's drinking, when he's angry. And I think we're starting to get it a little bit into the thought police here, where it's like what you're thinking or what you're saying privately is being held against you. And, I mean, if if people are coming forward saying he discriminated against me and here's how he discriminated, then I would would certainly jump off the, the Mel Gibson bandwagon a lot faster. But he hasn't done anything. He's just... He's, yeah, you know, he's the argument that when you're drunk, that you're really speaking about how you truly feel. Possibly. Yeah, but, but if, that's, but this is the same argument about if you're an arsonist, but you've never picked up a match, does that make you, right. does that mean you should go to jail? I mean, just because he has said some things or, or that doesn't mean that he's done anything. And so uh, I hate Jews, but I'm sitting here in a podcast <laughs> with you. No, but I mean, you're, we're getting to this point where we're running out of, problems and, and we're starting to attack people for what they're thinking privately and people are recording him now look so many people have recorded him <laughs> it's it's probably because they know this guy's a fucking maniac and he says some awful shit all the time but he i mean everybody now, that's what, worked what, with him has said he's been great right, right. jody foster's one of his best friends and i know i mean she's yeah, I know. I mean, a, a staple of the... Actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a horrible reputation on the set of being very sexist. Sure. Yeah. and and A lot of those guys do. A lot of those guys. But now, if we're talking about not just words, but action, are you able to separate the artist from the person, like with Woody Allen? Can you separate? That, I think you have to have a harder time. You know, Roman Polanski, same yeah. issue. I yeah. think you have to have... 
you have to give more pause because those people have acted in in different in a different context. And I mean, I think with Woody Allen, I think you have a much better argument to say we should be boycotting Woody Allen films. Are, a lot of people are, but Robert, so so he married his daughter. Come on. But I don't think it's marrying the daughter. I think it's the molestation I know, I know, issue. I know. I know. You know, it's the molestation adopted issue. daughter, but, but not even right. her. But his, you know, I know his, his actual daughter. Right, right. And that's what marrying your stepdaughter is highly inappropriate. But there's nothing. It's not illegal. It's not illegal, no, and no. I think it's just kind of like two consenting. It's, it's creepy. Smarmy. Yes, it's smarmy. It's smarmy. But people do smarmy stuff, and you know what? Maybe that's what you know. You, you how you found the perfect person for you. But if you're molesting your children, that's different. And the fact that that accusation is out there and and being legitimized by other you know other reports and kind of being backed up that's uh that's something else and i think we at least have to give pause i don't know how i feel about that about uh, about supporting woody allen movies or even roman polanski i definitely feel a little creepy about it but um but i don't feel bad at all about mug gibson because i feel like mug gibson hasn't done anything right just words yeah and it and in private Nonetheless, that he's, it's not like he got out and said, hey, everybody, I want you to know how I feel right. about... It was not a soapbox. Yeah. Right, right. It was in it was, private to people that, at the time, at least, he trusted. Right. And, yeah, he's, I mean, he's telling his girlfriend, he's trying to attack, he's angry, he's furious with her, and telling her, yeah, I hope you get raped by a pack of niggers. That's awful. What a horrible thing to say on several different levels, actually. But that's... What do you call the female police officer? Sugar tits. Sugar tits, yeah. yeah. Which, which, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, that's just funny. That's not even bad. Well, maybe it's a little bad. But that's funny. Sugar tits. <laughs> Sugar tits. <sighs> so, let me broach this. Okay. There was um, a strong uh, blow. Talking about the results, getting back to the results. Okay. Oh, by the way, I, I do want to acknowledge that um, my favorite movie of last year certainly got shafted, too, with um, nocturnal, I was going to say nocturnal emissions again, nocturnal animals, mm. that not only did our, did our girl not get nominated, but um, what's his name? Michael. Michael Shannon didn't win. Michael for, Shannon. Yeah. Sh- Shannon. Shannon. And I thought that was the best performance for yeah. a supporting actor. And the movie should have been nominated either for film or director or she, Amy Adams. But it kind of didn't get anything. Didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've said this before. The Founder was the best film that I, I saw last year. That. I love The Founder. Yeah. And it just did not get any Oscar love or really any awards love. And I don't know why. That film was was so good, and I think people just missed the boat. I, Michael Keaton makes such interesting choices, and man, I'm telling you, I think it was it, it, it was really a beautiful film and totally underrated. Um, it sh- should have been discussed more. And that, I think, is really talking about class <laughs> issues. I think because, again, we're so uh, concerned with race and we're concerned with gender, we don't talk very much about class. It's a total classist movie. It discusses class and how money is distributed and how McDonald's influences our, our culture and, and, uh, and our money system and how larger corporations are involved in our day-to-day lives. All of that stuff it's addressing, but 
I don't think people are really ready or, or care to hear about that. It's unfortunate. So, Robert, let me broach this before we move on. Um, there was definitely a stronger black presence with the results last night. Mm-hmm. Was it because of, uh, of last year's uh, uh, protest boycott? No. I don't think so. Really? I, I think they... I think people have a, a shorter memory than that. I think they're kind of reminded of like, oh, yeah, that was last year, wasn't it? That we didn't nominate him. Hmm, okay. And it's, it's always other people. It's always no one else voted for black people. It's never people looking at themselves in the mirror saying, yeah, I didn't vote for black people. It's always other, other, other. It was the same business as usual. I think people saying, oh, guys, we got to look for more black people this year. The, the reason why people didn't vote for black people last year, didn't get nominated, there was just, no good it just wasn't, films. there weren't great performances yeah, yeah. last year. Yeah. Okay. That happens, right? I mean, it has to. At some point, just, it, it, is it that we except always have straight, to? Except for Straight out of Compton, <laughs> which was written by two white people. Right. I mean, I, I think the fact that we are expecting there to be a black nomination is racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I come from a very post-feminist viewpoint on that, that we, the idea that we have to bend over backwards over race and be more sensitive about race is racist. And... I mean, it, it's this reverse racism almost. And if, if we don't see color, then why is everyone screaming that there's there's not enough black people being nominated if we, quote unquote, don't see color? There should just be people nominated. Yeah. It shouldn't matter that they're black or Latino. And keep in mind, you don't see very many Asians that are complaining about their representation in the Oscars. This is not supposed to be a politically correct thing. It's supposed to be, who did the best job? And if you did a good job, great, you got nominated. If you didn't, then you didn't. Well, they're yellow anyway. So, right. You know. I mean, we, who cares about Asians? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else that, about the, that's the Oscars? A, well, we, we covered my salient points. We yeah. covered yours? I think we covered my just about <laughs> all of my points. <laughs> the next Sorry I'm dominating the conversation yeah. with my okay. rants. Yeah. <laughs> you agree with me. I know you do. On which point? Oh, your initial point? The one that took 18 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. secondary point. Oh, that one and too? And the tertiary yeah. point. Yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had said something to me in private about, the, you know, feeling the way that you feel. Say what you said before. What are you referring to? Robert? You said, uh, I mean, that as you're getting older. Yeah. Well, as I'm getting older, and I am in a few months, I'm going to be 70, even though I look a lot younger uh-huh. and I behave much you younger. Look, you easily look like you're 68. 68. I knew you were yeah, going to say that. Yeah. 68. Yeah. I do think part of the results of last night was a a, a pulling back and an overcompensating because of what happened and fucking the year say before. fucking say that. Say the year before. I, I disagree I with you, that. but I know say you it. Do. I know you do. And, uh, boy, you weren't going to let me wiggle out of this one, no. were you? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's pretty clear to me, and I wonder if these movies would have been um, nominated because, and it, well, we can go into a whole big thing about this, that the um, the black community accounts for 12% of our society in mm-hmm. this country, and in the last 20 years, the statistics prove this out, in the last 20 years, um, African Americans have won uh, 14% of the 
top four, six categories in the uh, Academy Awards mm-hmm. the past 20 years. Last year was an anomaly, none, mm-hmm. and the year before that. The two previous years, none. So there was a strong reaction to that and the protest and the boycotting. And I thought that um, Chris Rock, I felt like a year ago, I think we spoke about this. Mm-hmm. I was getting a lecture. It felt like the Academy Awards was a lecture. Yeah. I wanted two or three really funny gems. And he did that at the beginning. I thought, well, that's it. I want to hear these zingers and let's move on. And it didn't. It was relentless. It was relentless. And I do feel that there was a, even if it was subconscious, maybe it was subconscious, but it felt like there was a concerted effort to re-examine, pull back, and perhaps acknowledge films that otherwise wouldn't have been acknowledged and if I if I project this way of thinking, that it also uh, diminishes the value of the award. Don't you think that's racist, though? Mm-hmm. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? That what I'm saying is racist. No, that, that, that the idea to of course to pull back and to to try to overcompensate. Yeah, it's like the whole quota system. Right. You know if. If, if you, you know, this the Supreme Court went over all these things. There was a famous Supreme Court case, the Backey decision, about not enough uh, minorities were being admitted into UCLA med school. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And, you know, if, if I own uh, a Bank of America in the city of Glendale, let's just make this up, in the city of Glendale is, is 14% Hispanic, therefore should Bank of America be legally bound to reflect among its employees 14% to reflect the minority breakdown within the community? That's the issue that it's posing. Um, but yes, it is, it is racist. But I do feel there might have been an unconscious, concerted effort to pull back and to try to um, bend the other way and compensate and let other movies come to the surface and be celebrated. This was, to me, it felt like a very independent film. I mean, there's always some of that, right? Miramax or the Weinstein Company, they always kind of release some independent films. But this felt very independent-y. Uh, it felt like a lot of films, you know, Moonlight won, so that this kind of, uh, it doesn't seem like Hollywood fair. I mean, there were no recognizable actors in Moonlight that you would, that you would usually True. see. Uh, not like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, right? So, I mean, uh, even the film that I loved, The Founder, Michael Keaton, and, uh, you know, uh, even someone as, as known as like B.J. Novak, who was a, an actor in... Um, in the office is still a recognizable name in that in that film. Uh, you know, we didn't see even that level really in, in Moonlight. It was it was a lot of really um, actors that we hadn't really seen very much before. And then that wins, uh, and it, it felt just very independent this year. So I wonder if, in a way, there you know, Hell or High Water got nominated and. Uh, what are some of the other independent films that that kind of trickled in there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Heck. Hidden Figures, I don't think I would consider that an independent no. film, but it definitely had, I mean, there, it's like these this new flavor of, of, of talent that's kind of coming into Hollywood that's not the traditional uh, actors that we've seen right. over Lion, and over and over again. Lion, Lion same category. thing, right. right. Yeah. And even though Fences definitely had some recognizable names, it still felt independent. Right. It still had that independent feel because it was a play, because it was, um, and it, and it was, it was lower budget kind of cinema. Anyway. So maybe so, in a way it did allow for other films to yes, rise. Yes, but am I sounding racist because of what I'm suggesting? I don't think you, you're sounding racist. I think it, I think what you're saying is that people 
we're actually being racist by doing it. I think you're, you're saying here's the cause. The cause is people felt guilty, so they adjusted a certain way. I disagree with you. I don't think I people did that, but I can certainly see your point. Yeah. And I don't think that makes you racist for saying it. I think it makes them racist for feeling bad about it. Their heart is in the right place. And say, so, I don't know, I, th- I feel like everybody's heart is in the right place. Who believes that they're an evil mastermind? I mean, that's stuff for cartoons. No one does that. Right, right. I mean, the terrorists on September 11th felt like they were doing the right thing. Everybody feels like sure. they're doing the, the right thing. In name of thing. God. Right. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I think by trying to overcompensate, they feel like, okay, well, we're diminishing racism. And so if I vote for black people, I'm helping in some right, way. Right, But really, you are enabling the idea of racism. You should just vote for who you think is the best, period, end. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Right. To start equating race into it starts to make it racism. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Poor Jimmy Kimmel. Seriously. He... He'll land on his feet. He will land on his feet. But I felt sorry for him. He would have gone down as one of the better Oscar shows mm-hmm. because of him. Yeah. But that's not what people are talking about. Not until they... Next year, terrorist attack. That's what I'm saying. That's how, that's how the Oscars can really up their ratings. Terrorist attack. Let's make it so. The day Hollywood died. Wow. Calling that, it. That would make a good screenplay. Hold them all captive. Boy, that's going to be like one of those towering inferno situations, don't you think? Robert, I kind of like this idea. <laughs> patent pending, patent pending. <laughs> Trademark how, that how idea. How many people are listening? Copyright. How many people? We better type this thing up fast. Get it registered. <laughs> Let's just put they the hold, idea out there and then have the someone else type it up and we'll get story yeah, credit. They hold the Oscars. Yeah. And then you get all they sorts get of celebrities. Movies. They hold all the... The um, there hasn't been one of those big uh, Poseidon adventure a towering, towering inferno. inferno. It's like with stars everywhere. With supers, yeah. We got Meryl. She'll sit in the front row again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. No, we don't want her. She's she's no. overrated. <laughs> no. What if that movie gets nominated for an Oscar? This one we're talking about right yeah. now. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> This is like Inception. I all know. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's three layers, a dream within a dream. Okay, all right. Anything else about the Oscars? That's it. So what was your money shot for the night? Ah, Wait right a there. minute. I remember. That from, that's, now, you what's your money me. shot for the Oscars? What's the best part? It has to be, and again, 90% of the time, it's going to be the end. Yep. How could it not be? How could it not? How, and for me, it's not even, it's moments before. I just remember so vividly that poor stage manager, whoever he was with the headset, Walking out aggressively and talking to people before the yeah. aha moment happened. Um, that stayed with me. Yeah. Something was awry. And I think I, I would absolutely agree with you. And I think number two money shot for me is Denzel's eyes. Seeing Denzel yeah. tear up. And he was he was upset. Um, and in a way, I felt bad for him. But then I realized <laughs> this guy's going to be all right. Yeah. Share the wealth. Yeah. Well. Okay. All right. Using this as a springboard. Please. Since we're talking about movies, mm-hmm. Robert and I decided to come up with our top five favorite films about films. Yes. A celebration of movies. Yeah. So why don't you go first? And I did rank this time. Okay. I, I'm ranking from now on, you Thank know. Thank you. And beginning, are we limiting it to five? Yeah. No, you're not going to Well, get, you know how I have a little scoops like of, <laughs> I rattle off like 12, then I go into my five. 
<laughs> Get it started, Robert. All right. Well, my number five. I have a feeling this is going to be on your list as well. I was wondering if we're going to overlap. I think this one yeah. is we're going to overlap. My number five, and I really like this movie a lot, Singing in the Rain. Is that on your list? Overlap. Mm. Singing in the Rain, it, it's, it's such a great... Um, uh, I mean, what, what's the Eliza Doolittle? What's the... Uh, my, my Fair Lady. No, my Fair Lady kind of story. Pygmalion, right? yeah. Yeah, Pygmalion. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to think of. Uh, it's this same kind of storyline, right? I mean, kind of. Kind of that's what you've got, is that you've got a, a um, an actress who's... Uh, the whole story is set in... Uh, in early Hollywood cinema where they're just starting to to talk and use voices and this one actress, her voice is awful and they use another actress to uh, to do the voice for her. But this the singing and <coughs> dancing in that film is so good. And it sounds trite at this point to think about, but the scene with Gene Kelly where he's... Just, the pivotal scene... I mean, the whole thing is such a great movie. Uh, uh, Make Them Laugh is a great singing, uh, song and dance number. But that scene where he's dancing in the rain and the cop comes up and looks at him, it's so beautiful. It really is. It, it, how can it not warm your heart? And it's, it really is one of cinema's best scenes. Agreed. And it's such an appropriate, we're talking about money shots before, that is the money shot, just him on the light pole. Because we've all had those moments in our lives where we do something stupid and and if someone were watching us, they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? But in the moment, we just don't care. And, And usually it's when you've just fallen in love or you're feeling really good and everything's kind of looking up in life. I love the that scene in particular, but the whole movie just really, really works. There's great gags. There's really funny stuff. The dancing is all perfect. Perfect dancing. Poor Debbie Reynolds got worked over a time and, and again. But um, yeah. but yeah, I love that movie. And that is in my top five, but let me just say real fast, acknowledging that. Uh, it I have, is in your top five? Yeah, it not? is. It okay. is. And, and I have that one ranked, uh, actually that's ranked fourth, but let me just mention that uh, it's myth. It's not true. People think that they shot that sequence, Singing in the Rain, in one take with five cameras mm. going. Not true. It took three or four days. Mm. I did some research on the movie. Did you? And you've heard this. This is out there, and everyone knows this to be true, that Gene Kelly did have the flu. He had a temperature. Right. You know that. And um, had to do those that scene that those days. Uh, nice choice. Nice Thank choice. You. And my fifth favorite uh, movie about the movies is The Stuntman. The Stuntman. Did you ever see it? I, I, I think I saw it a long time ago, but I don't remember very much. Didn't he jump out of a helicopter at yeah, some point? He sure That's did. what I remember. He sure did. It was uh, 1980. Uh, Richard, Richard Rush, who... Um, who was quite big in the in the in the seventies and did Elliot Gould movies and so on, um, and it was with uh, Peter O'Toole. It was a tour de force for Peter O'Toole, Steve Rails back and so on. It was blurring the line of what's real and what's not real. Hmm. And um, uh, Steve Railsback is a fugitive running from the law, and he's hired to be a stuntman. And the whole movie is. It's a mind fuck. Uh. And it's this wonderful collision of what is real, what is not real. You think you're, th- and then you pull back and you realize, oh my God, we're still watching a movie being filmed. And again, a, a tour de force of acting for, for Peter O'Toole. People feel this might have been his best role ever as, um, as the director, as this uh, egotistical megalomaniac 
director. Huh. He was he was so good in that part. That's my fifth favorite movie about the movies. Okay. My number four. Yes. Living in Oblivion. Do you know this movie? It's familiar. It's with Steve Buscemi. Um, it's a, a Tom DeSolo movie from the early 90s uh, about a crew of kind of uh, this, these ragtag independent filmmakers who are trying to shoot this movie. And um, Steve Buscemi plays the director and he's, he's just pulling his hair out because everybody keeps coming back to him and there's just a million different problems that keep happening to him. And, uh, and the, the best part of the whole movie is this one, after they finally have shot their their scene that they're they're trying to shoot um, the the pretty much the whole movie they finally finish the scene and they they're about ready to break for the day and they go okay that's a wrap and then the sound guy goes oh no wait we got to record thirty seconds of silence we need si- we need room tone and they go okay well we got to be quiet and so it's <laughs> all these people who are just loud mouths and complainers and everything else and they hit record on on the button and. And it just shows these close-ups for 30 seconds of all these people who you can tell are about to burst at the seams. And it's this great, I mean, talking about money shot, it's this great tension that just starts to build and build and build. And people are sweating and they're like, they can't hold silent for 30 seconds. And it's a really, really nice, um, just a nice moment within the whole thing. But I really like that movie. It's a good one. Wow. That's my number four. I need to see that. By the way, talking about money shot in the stuntman, there was a, it was repeated throughout. But where we see uh, Peter O'Toole as the director mm-hmm. sitting on the crane, you know, coming into frame, folk coming in as a a godlike quality, and that image was repeated throughout the film, and it was used in the poster. So it was a money shot there too. Okay, moving on to my fourth favorite movie about the movies. Mm-hmm. You ready? Uh huh. Moonlight. I really love the behind the scenes nature of seeing. Uh, a black crew shooting a movie with the key. Oh, I'm sorry. I wrote, <laughs> it opened up the wrong envelope. Uh, <laughs> okay. Just see Robert staring at me. <laughs> My fourth is Singing in the Rain, Robert's yeah. fifth, 1952. And again, it took place in the 1920s when talkies first came to be with, of course, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, and um, a movie indeed about making movies. And I just want to say that I don't think it's our best movie musical. In fact, Gene Kelly has mm-hmm. said more than once, it's not his favorite musical. There are other musicals that are better, but I do think it's our most beloved. Mm. It's our most beloved musical. People just reference that as perhaps the greatest American musical ever made. Sing in the Rain was my uh, fourth favorite. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I'm going to take a double scoop here. Because my number three, I really wanted to put the player on this list. Um, have you seen The Player with Tim Robbins? Do you know this movie? It's my number three. Is it really your number three? Then I'm, gr- I'm so happy that I'm, that's on your list because... How could it not be? Well, I really wanted to talk about because I love that movie, but there's the, the other three films that I have on here I really wanted to put on as well, and there just wasn't enough room, and I, I felt like the others had to kind of bump down a little bit. My number three is Adaptation. Adaptation... I saw Yes. It's so, it's really brilliant when you think about how it was written and what it's trying to say. And if you are involved in the film industry at all, Charlie Kaufman's oh, script Charlie Kaufman for that, it, it's really incredible. And it's one of these things where, 
when you start analyzing it, you're going, oh my gosh, this is, talk about Inception. It's, it's really a world inside a world inside a world. And you're going, what's happening here? Because it's like a fictitious version of himself. It's really strange. Um, and he's basically adapting a novel that is unadaptable into an, an adaptation. It, and it's, it's really weird. Nick if you've Cage ever read the brilliant. book, Nicholas he really Cage was. was really good in that. Yeah, he was. That was Nick Cage's probably his best work. Oh, yeah. Nice choice. Thanks. Nice choice. Okay. And my third is The Player, mm. which Robert wanted to include also at this point. You know, so I glad that you're mentioning that. 1992 is a Robert Altman movie, uh, one of his best, and it was a, certainly a satire of the uh, Hollywood industry. And it's one of these movies, Robert, where the plot is not as important as the telling of the story. You're right. It's the telling of the story that's so glorious, and it's so much fun. And the people who were in this movie, besides uh, Tim Robbins and, and Fred Warren and Whoopi Goldberg, Buck Henry was in it, and, and Steve Allen was in it. Yes. Uh, Peter Fon, Terry Gard, Jeff Gold, Jack Lemmon was in it, Bruce Willis, uh, Burt Reynolds, all these people were in it, had incredible cameos. And the story itself was... I don't know. It was almost a flimsy story, but it didn't matter. The player is known for its opening scene, which lasts seven and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. It's that one incredible shot. And I remember seeing this. In the, so You know what's interesting, Robert? A side note. Most of these movies that we've been talking about when we do our top five, I saw originally on its first showing in theaters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rocky and things like that. And it's interesting. I might have a slightly different perception because I remember the audience reaction mm. to Rocky where we're all in the theater going crazy. Right. So it's interesting that because I am a little bit older than you, that I've seen these movies when they first came out in a theater. And I remember Wait, watching... you're not that much older. Not that much, I just mean, a little bit. you're yeah. 69, going to be 78. I'm like, you know, 68. Yeah. It's the same thing. I'm sorry, how old are you? 68. Yeah, I, yeah. you look damn good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> The opening shot, a tracking shot, the camera moves around like crazy, and we even have Buck Henry, right. who's pitching The Graduate Part 2. He's pitching, the, and Buck Henry wrote the screenplay to The uh -huh. Graduate. And all this is in one continuous scene, and the camera zigs and it zags, then we go outside the building, and there's more cameos back inside. It's just setting the environment, the atmosphere, for this somewhat goofy story. But again, the telling of the story is so brilliant, it's a real smart satire. That's a good one. I really like that movie. If you haven't seen The Player, go check it out. It, it, Tim Robbins is so good in it. He, he went through a, a, a phase there where he was doing some kind of uh, some slapstick comedies. Like Remember he did Hudsucker yeah, Proxy yeah. and things like that? He was doing yeah. a few of these comedies where he was really just a goofball and really funny. And this was is probably the peak of that. And just he's pulling out his hair the entire movie. It's great. It's a really good movie. Okay, my number two. My number two is a movie that I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a little Ira -y with this. Am I, what, am I gonna get irate? No, Ira. You're gonna get Ira like. Yeah. Oh, it's an animation. No. Is it about dogs? No. Is it old Yeller? No. Yeah. No. Hmm. Yeah. It's a beauty. Well, old Yeller. No. Here's what okay, I mean. but you're not playing it right. You're, I'm you're, not playing. You're wiggling. Fair. You're wiggling. I'm wiggling. Okay, let's watch you wiggle. All right. My number two is Swingers. And I think Swingers counts. Here's why I think it counts. Because these guys are all trying to make it in Hollywood. They're all trying to become famous actors. There's a lot of dialogue about uh, going on auditions and trying to get roles and things like that. It's loose. I'll admit it. But I do feel like it is kind of a, a 
film about movies, but it's really struggling to make, um, you know, to make it in Hollywood and what like what it's like for actors to make it in Hollywood. Have you seen Swingers before? I have. I saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm. I loved yeah. Swingers. It's a really good movie. Uh, there's so many great gags that still hold up really, really well. The scene with the John, telephone, the telephone scene. John Favreau on that telephone oh, is so funny. That was so visceral. That just, I could see myself <laughs> doing that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You talk. If, if no one has seen this scene, stop the podcast, go to YouTube and pull it up because just the telephone scene alone is so great. John Favreau plays this character who's brokenhearted about a girl. His friends are trying to cheer him up the entire time. He's down and out about his entire life. Everything He's questioning everything. He's going to move back home. He's trying to be an actor. is not working out. Um, and it seems like everybody else has these, these great jobs being actors and yet they're they're playing was it goofy at disneyland and stuff like that but he gets the number of this girl at a bar and he he starts calling her and leaving voicemails after voicemail after voicemail on her on her message machine and it starts to get really embarrassing and the machine keeps cutting him off and it gets worse and worse and he can't pull out and Man, that scene alone is so good. But there's so many other great scenes in the whole movie. It's filled with some, um, just some really nice performances, and it, it's very true. I felt like the friendships were very real, and uh, that's really something that I liked a lot about that film. Great locales, too. Right. That, that, what's the name of that restaurant that's still there? Okay, it was a Cafe Las 101? Area? Oh, no, uh, Fred 62's? Is that it? I think so. I can't remember. It's, it's, uh, it's a real nice choice. Is it a movie about movies? Hmm. Perhaps our listeners will respond to that via email. (laughs) I think you just pulled an old yeller or Lady and the Tramp. Well, you know what? I I threw in uh, the player in there, too. That's true. So if not, then I'm going to pull... I'm, I'm going to recall player and put that. Button. That's okay. As long as we're defining it in a loose way. So okay. I, I accept that. Okay. Barely. All right. Okay. <laughs> my second favorite choice, my second choice for uh, favorite movie about mm-hmm. movies, Sunset Boulevard. I knew this was going to be Did on you your know list. that? Did you yeah. know that? Uh, Billy Wilder, 1950, and uh, film noir. Film noir, the cinematography, black and white, was incredible. Right. With... Um, William Holden and, and Gloria Swanson as Norma Desmond. And again, it's this thing about reality where the, a, an aging actress and she kind of loses it, especially at the end of that famous ending, mm-hmm. famous ending. I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. It's this, by the way, I, I was reading up on it this afternoon. You'll appreciate this is with the cinematographer uh, was discussing how inside her home, they wanted to look musty and the cinematographer was throwing dust in front of the lens to give it a musty look, hmm. just thick with stuff in her in her home. It's it's quite a movie. It's beautifully photographed. It's film noir with great music, Franz Wax Waxman, and uh, that's my second favorite movie about the movies. All right, my favorite movie about movies is a movie I don't think you've seen. It's an Irish film, I think. It's called Son of Rambo. Have you seen this movie? I was reading about it yesterday. Were you really? It's a good movie. I love this movie. The premise of the movie is uh, this: these two kids get a tape of First Blood, the, the first Rambo movie, and they start to um, put together their own like follow-up version to this movie. And uh, 
they kind of make their own sequel. It reminded me a lot of um, Be Kind, Rewind. Did you see that movie? I sure did. And it reminded me a lot of that with like kind of this homegrown uh, versions of uh, of like sets and things like that. And the kid who – the two kids are very uh, polar opposite kind of personalities. And the one that plays Rambo is just crazy fierce and wild-eyed. And it's these really great performances from these these kids, and it's just it, there's something ab- about um, I don't know some coming of age films that it have always really touched me, um, and I, I I really get into them. I, and this that's kind of what this is is seeing these. Uh, I love young performers, these kids that can turn out great performances. They're really really interesting to me, and I think that's part of why I really enjoyed Moonlight is seeing some of these younger performers pull out great performances and the maturity that it takes. And these guys did it. This, this is a really, really nice movie. You know, it's, I'm going to fess up to something right now. I'm owning up to something. When we do this, Robert, I make my list by myself with no input. It's mm-hmm. important I do that. And then I do research, and I look into it just to read about the movie that we're going to be talking about, the five movies. And, and then after, you totally change your no, list. No, I don't change them. I don't. I, I stick with my initial five. And after I did my five, just out of curiosity, I did Google movies about movies. Son huh. of Rambo came up. I never heard of it. I was reading about it, and I was intrigued. It's cool that you're mentioning that as your, set, your first. Yeah. Yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah, check it out. It's definitely yeah, worth will. watching. I will. All right. What's My first one? drum roll, please, is a movie about the movies, mm-hmm. and it's about making porn movies, which kind of ties in. I knew in. this wait, was going to be on your first list, First of all, I want to say it ties in with our whole theme for our podcast, because we started speaking about my particular Taste you, were, porn. you were like harping on that. I don't know why, but you're giving me a hard time with with porn. You know where I'm going. Because you, you like gay porn. So, never mind. So my favorite movie about the movies, my number one choice is Boogie Nights. Right. You know, yeah. As soon as I, I said porn, you know, 1997. It was a um, Paul, was, Paul Thomas Anderson. What was the other movie about porn? Um, the, there were two others. Well, one the was one Jeff with, Bridges, where a small town and they make a porn movie. Uh, for they oh. needed money. To, yes, there's. Is that the one you're thinking about? Well, that's. Well, there there's, was Zach and Miri make a porno. There's that one, and then the, there was the one. Uh, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Like the older people make a porn, right? Yes. But what was the one? Was it called Hardcore? Where the dad has to go. This is the '70s oh. movie where his daughter is in porn and he has to go. Find, he like he ends up in the porno theater trying to find his daughter and she's in porn and he's like watching it. Well, he, he's wa- he has to watch this daughter? porn with, with his daughter having sex. And it's a lot of like, um, I can't remember who the actor was, but it's, it turned into a meme later on. I'd only heard of the film, but I, then I, once it became a meme, I felt obliged to go watch it. And it's been a while since I've seen it. But it, there's this, the shots of him in the theater like, stop, 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 turn it off. And he's uh, like sitting there covering his eyes. Wow. And uh, why he doesn't just get up and walk out of the theater, I don't know. But It um, wouldn't be cinematic. Right. Uh, but that's kind of, I'm, I'm cutting you off about yeah. Hey, it's my turn, Robert. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. But that, that, it reminds yeah. me of, of yeah. those kinds of movies. Yeah. So yes, this is a movie about making porn. Boogie Nights, an incredible movie. Paul uh, PT PT mm-hmm. Anderson, and um, and with Mark Wahlberg and Julianne Moore is incredible. Yeah. She's just amazing. In everything. And of course, Burt Reynolds. Um, 
he, did he win the Oscar for support? He, he was nominated, that's for mm, sure. I can't I'm not sure if he, if he won or not. And it was about how the porn industry was suddenly going from filming to video, right. the revolution that. But it was more than just that. There was this core theme of family that he belonged right. there with the family, and that was it. Just all came together. It's beautifully photographed. It's got great music, mm-hmm. great music, great cinematography throughout. It's it's a hell of a movie, Boogie Nights, and that's my number one favorite movie about the movies. Hmm. Porn. Porn. <laughs> I like Boogie Nights, but there was always something about it that um, I knew that it was a movie that everyone else would like more than me. And I feel that way about most P.T. Anderson movies, um, but except for Punch Drunk Love. I, for, right. I think I've mentioned that before in this podcast. I like Punch Drunk Love, but um, almost everything he's done, I've just been... Magnolia as I well. Know I know everyone else likes it, and I get it, and I appreciate that they like it, but it just... It didn't sing to me. I don't know why. It, 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 there was just something that was... It was good, but I was never just blown away. Except for Punch Drunk Love. For whatever reason, that one really got me. Incredible shot near the opening. It's at the very opening of Boogie Nights. One long camera take, again, mm-hmm. um, getting out of the limo, walking into the club. Mm. And the camera, the handheld camera, just going in and following the characters. And they're all in there. And we see... Roller girl, right? You know, and it's just introducing us to the characters in such an economical way, right? Wow, yeah, well, there you go, yeah, wow. Can I have the envelope now? You can have the envelope, <laughs> but it's not the right one, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that pretty much does it for this week, don't you think? We did it. Anything else you want to talk about? Mm-mm. No, no, I'm spent <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that, okay. talking about yeah, money yeah, shot, yeah, yeah, you are. Uh, all right. Well, so if anyone has any comments or questions or you want to bitch at us for something we did this week, you can send us an email to Robert at Money Shot Podcast or and or, and or I love it. Ira at MoneyShotPodcast.net. Or you can send us a, a direct message through Instagram or Twitter at Money Shot Podcast. Or you can, I don't know, just send us a, a snail mail letter. Whatever you need to do. But please, will you do us a favor? If you like this show, tell somebody else. Let a friend or a family member know. Recommend the show to somebody. Somebody who likes movies, just say, hey, you know what? You should check this this podcast out. We Our, our audience size has been growing every week, and yeah. we really appreciate yeah. that. And uh, well, let's keep the, the train rolling. Keep the, I love your analogies. You know what? Keep let's keep the, the cameras tra- rolling. That's How better. That's that, good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Keep, keep the cameras, cameras rolling. I like that. <laughs> so in keeping with the cameras rolling, uh, until next time, uh, keep watching movies, and we'll help you sort them out. 